Chris, hi. How are you doing? Hi, Rich. How are you doing? Long time. Long, long time. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. Yeah, it has been a long time. Um, and, and I can't remember the last time we, we saw each other face to face in London, but we're talking years. Yeah, I, I think um, I'm going to hazard a guess. It would have been probably 2013, 14. I do remember seeing you, you out and about in the Richmond and, and St. Margaret's area. I think we just bumped into each other back then. Um, but yeah, that would be probably the last time. The last time I was in London working was 2018, and I, I don't think I bumped into you then, which is a shame. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've we've kept in touch, so it's, it's great that we can we can do this. And and I've been following, you know, with interest what what you've been up to and, and your your adventures, which we'll get into. Um, yeah. But but we we first met. Um, we we worked in a practice together we we had some time that crossed over there and, and we were both interested in pain um sort of some wry smiles coming up you can't see our faces um <laughs> and um yeah we kind of we sort of struck it off over that material and and such like and and it sort of went on from there yeah yeah i think um yeah it was i i, I just moved to london and uh started the the masters at king's college london in 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 sports and performance and you were i don't know if you were in your first or in your second year or, or i don't know i, I don't remember which because were you doing it part-time you're doing the course i did, the, I did uh, yeah i was part-time yeah 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 so you're doing the pain msc part-time and i remember we just crossed over for some of those lectures there. and i think that was it was that and then working in the clinic we just happened to uh, work in the the clinic which was physio for life was it yeah yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, it was it was it was a very interesting period because the uh, the pain science side of things uh, was just it was something that I'd been learning over the years uh, in the background. I was very lucky to do a, a couple of day course with um, Louis Gifford uh, back in 2004 or five, I believe. Um, so it, it really sparked my interest and, and David Butler and Lorimer Mosley. And, uh, but, I, you know, I'd only get in, you know, a couple of days or a, a smidgen, a taste of, of that. So, so the pain module um, during my sports and performance course was actually very interesting. And, and, and I can, you know, I can see uh, I've learned so much from that and, and you know, applied that to, to how I work, you know, in sports medicine as well. Uh, and it's always it's always there in my mind um but it was very interesting very very interesting and, it was, and that's when i met you yeah that's right and then, so wh where did you do your undergrad i did my undergrad uh in cardiff um cardiff it was before it was the university of wales college of medicine before it merged with the university of cardiff so i would have been probably one of the last few to get the university of wales college of medicine certificates because it comes oh. under the physiotherapy degree comes under University of Cardiff now and that was between 1997 and 2000 I went in you know wet, wet behind the ears 18 years old straight mm -hmm. into a uh, physiotherapy uh, training which um, after a couple of childhood injuries and um, uh, you know some some uh, experiences with physios and I remember my mum always says um she took me to this appointment. I didn't have much luck with the GP and, you know, the, the GP, you know, to be fair to them, they, they, they can't be specialists in all areas of medicine, the general practitioners. So I, I, I didn't feel like I got on uh, with that very well. So my mum, you know, we weren't a rich family, but she managed to get me um, an appointment to see a sports physio in the Welsh Institute of Sports, Sophia Gardens, Cardiff. Mm. And uh, I remember the guy... Dean Conway was, um, you know, showing me the anatomy and showing me exercises and explaining and, and kind of um, normalizing the entire process, reducing that that fear, reducing that kind of worry. Uh, and told me, yeah, you can carry on with sport. You might just have to manage how many different sports you're doing. But yeah, you know, Osgood's Sclatter's disease was, was kind of, uh, the knee was what kind of got my interest in the, the body and injuries. Um, and and I come out. My mum says she always reminds me that I said to her, "Do people get paid to do this?" <laughs> and she always remembers that. And and that was that. That was the point. Then that was the turning point. And I was 
probably 14, 15, I was set and it's a 41 now and um, I'm still involved in it. So it was yeah. obviously a, a good decision. Yeah. And, and now you're being paid for it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And, and rightly so. Um, okay, so, so the, in, in your undergrad, though, um, how much time was dedicated to uh, pain education? You know, um, I push my memory here now, but we, we, we doctor, here we go, Dr. Iris Musa, Dr. Musa was quite a you know, uh, a senior, you know, lecturer at the time in Cardiff University. And I remember her doing the, the, the neurophysiology of pain. I'm pretty sure it was her that did the neurophysiology of, of pain. And, um, and we really, we did just touch on probably the, the pain gate theory, uh, Mel Zach and wall. And, and, and they gave us that, that understanding. And I think, um, that was, you know, 1997. And I think towards the end of the course, uh, pushing my memory here, but there were, I remember there were lecturers and new younger lecturers coming in. And uh, I struggle to say their names now, but they they pushed us towards um, uh, the biopsychosocial approach. I remember Gordon Waddle's book back pain revolution came out probably in the late 90s early 2000s that's uh, gordon wallow um and and that really started to get our sparked our thinking you know it really did spark our, our thinking during that that time um uh so that was when i started getting an interest and i actually remember um it was actually post university i think where uh, Dr. Mick Facker was invited down to the Royal Gwent Hospital to do a day on um, on pain science. And I'm sure that was 2000 or 2001, um, but that was that was post grad. So we, yeah, we, we started to get a um, an understanding of that uh, back then, and um, it's interesting to see how that's uh, how that's grown now. And I'm sure it's you know uh, that 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 side of the education has changed massively since I was in university. But I could see there was I think I was in that tide of change. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good way to put it, isn't it? Around yeah, around that sort of late the late 90s because before then there were sort of some sporadic things. Um and and Mick who always as you know obviously we both know you know the sort of the the, the understated um spokesman for pain I suppose. I mean he's far more than that, but um you know he's he's had a big influence as as has Lorimer and Dave particularly Lorimer probably coming over here um and and talking about it and that that sparked a lot of a lot of interest and there's been you know that that's sort of been prolonged um and and is still is still there but um but you you went to Louis Gifford's course um what do you remember what triggered you to go and do that in particular I um, God, I'm, I'm going to say it was probably even. I'm trying to remember whether it was while I was at the Royal Gwent or at Gloucester Royal Hospital. I'm, I'm really trying to remember. And I've got certificates somewhere. Is aches and pains, and I, and it was, um, you know, it was um, it was a progression from finishing finishing the undergraduate and getting a taster for. Uh, that aspect, which is the main reason people come and see us most of the time, is because they're in some some type of pain, uh, and um, probably some of the challenges of musculoskeletal outpatients as a, as a junior physio at the time. I think the names have changed now, but and as a as a senior too, there was some, you know, probably, and this is the story which a lot of people that you may have spoken about this this story where some things were very straightforward and you know yeah you know i did my fair share of, of manual therapy maitland and mobilization mulligan train at the time and, and, and sometimes people responded to that um but there was a huge number that didn't mm -hmm. uh and they were and, and and i was learning about different approaches at that time um going through that that early journey as a, a postgraduate physiotherapist you know you you, you presented with problems that don't fit the textbook approach and you start looking for you know solutions and probably at that time it was very uh you know the 
the two-day weekend courses were, were very strong and, and popular. Um, and I think, yeah, it wasn't answering, especially the chronic low back pain, it wasn't answering the questions for the chronic low back pain cases. So um, I'm trying to... Uh, I'm trying to remember if it was in Car in the Royal Gwent or if in the Gloucester Royal Hospital. So I, I apologise for that. But um, again, that, that that course was being run internally. Mm-hmm. It was being they were they were bringing him in, and they were in a course, and then out of our department, and external people were 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 then additionally attending that course. So um, we all kind of got first dibs, and um, I was already aware of his previous work with David Butler I think I'd probably even done a a neurodynamics course prior to that as well Um, and obviously Mick had an influence and 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 I think in when Mick was doing his early kind of one day half day or one day problem of pain courses um, Lewis Gifford was in his uh, reference list um, uh, appointed as to the topical issues of pain books and I'd started reading some of those the early ones uh, and I think that then naturally yes yes we know we want to do Lewis Giffords course you know and uh, and you know I got a terrible memory for these things I've still got the course handbook somewhere but it was it was inspiring I do remember it being inspiring and uh, just a completely different way of of looking at people um, and I think sometimes then I've delved back into sport and I've forgotten about some of the things that I've learned doing his course and, and similar courses and you come up with problems and then you, you come back to it and you think oh, you know, I should really keep dipping back into that and making sure it really is a part of my day-to-day practice and that's probably why I found myself going back and forth to uh, a combination of you know basic science or, or you know uh, basic science and 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 and, and the science of pain courses now that relates to practice and then sports physiotherapy I was trying to I was I was kind of going back and for those two areas in my learning because it, it was answering questions that maybe the the sports physiotherapy courses weren't weren't answering yeah yeah and I think that's a really important point because um you know as you know I've run the uh, sort of or, or given the pain talk on the sportsmen masters at, at Queen Mary's for for many years now and um People aren't particularly surprised. I don't think that there's a lecture on or a talk or I call it a workshop or whatever um, on on pain. But but sometimes surprised about talking about, you know, persistent chronic pain, um, you know, not existing in sport um, or or not. I remember a consultant actually saying that that chronic pain didn't exist in private practice. And and that, that astounded me. Because as, as we know, as you know, as well as I, that, that you know, persisting pain, chronic pain is, is everywhere. Um, and it's a massive issue in, in sport. So the fact that you're drawing on, on this kind of person first approach and, and these ideas that, that then would have seemed quite radical, perhaps, but now less so, still radical for some people. And, and so you're, you're bringing that into your continued day to day practice. Yeah, it's it's. I'm going to say it's, I definitely feel with, um, you can, you can hear it and you can hear it in uh, players in their reports and how they speak to you and, and, and you, they talk of, oh, you know, I fear artificial pitches. It sets off my tendons, you know? And that you know, you tend some pain at the moment. No, no, but I'm dreading it. Mm. So you can start to see, you know, there's this, there's this, you know, emotional value or this, uh, this, this fear of of aspects from their past injury histories, and um, you wonder if that already kind of primes them for for the pain that they're about to experience. They can't, you know, think, okay, starting afresh this new year. Going to build up gradually and, and get used to it. They're, they're they're fearful and they want to try and avoid it. Um, uh, or, or especially if we're we're changing pitches or have to change pitches. So there's, there's little things like that. And then yeah, there are injuries that people. You know, if someone's had two or three shoulder surgeries on the same shoulder, you know, and they'll tell you that you know um, when it starts getting painful for no reason, 
Um, you know, it's been feeling good. And it's just, you know, I didn't take a contact, didn't take a hit. I was, you know, uh, relaxing. It starts throbbing and aching and, uh, and then it disappeared. And there's no kind of true stimulus response. I know this underlying, you know, uh, there's some sort of sensitization, long-term pain memory, um, uh, which, which, which is there in these people. And it might not be, it might not stop them playing, but it certainly is something which they continually try and bring to the physiotherapist, the constant need to have something worked on or released um, is obviously uh, there's something going on in that neural circuitry, which is maybe, you know, driving some protective tone through these muscles, you know? Um, so it's, it's, I suppose it's very hard to, to prove. I tried to do something uh, during my, when I was doing my master's, um, pure sports medicine, uh, I was, I was do, I, I tried to do so that my dissertation topic was looking to see if there was, I used the land scale and neuropathic pain scale uh, to evaluate Achilles tendinopathy patients. So, uh, and pure sports medicine, um, uh, I, I asked them and, contacted Dr. Hakan, Alfreds Hakan Alfredson, who was doing, um, I think, clinics every two or three months there, traveling over. And he just basically said, yes, yeah, you know, come use my patients. And I think pure sports medicine were like, who's this person coming in? But he's like, yes, come in, do some research for us. Um, and I didn't have enough numbers in the end, but there was definitely this, uh, this trend to where they had, you know, these tendons had this, allodynic response this kind of painful response to non-painful stimuli like touch and um and it was interesting and uh, maybe something that i should have gone on and, and, and done more to you know do but you know you know there's these processes going on which um people can't you know uh turn a blind eye to yeah yeah you, you've just triggered a memory because um that that i think is first of all how we were put in touch because i also did um, I was looking at um, Achilles tendons um, and obviously under the guide, guidage of, of Mick and, um, and doing Peter Maliaris as well. Peter Maliaris Pete, was, Pete was around. Pete was, yeah, Pete was around. He, I don't, yeah. he didn't have any involvement with me, but he might have done with, with you. Yeah, no, he, he um, definitely was a sounding board and um, he, he, uh, he gave me some, some mentoring for, for that for that period of that project ah, okay cool uh, Peter's a great guy and um, yeah. uh, he was the one who got me into to talk at Queen Mary's because he ran the sports medicine course there for a while um, and before he moved back to to Australia so yeah, yeah. Pete, Pete the tendon man yeah for sure yes you know um, he was uh, no he was he was good he was he was uh, very much a, a, an early inspiration for me for the the, the sporting tendon and the the chronic tendons which we see you know a lot of in uh in sport so i think um you know there's uh, people would uh, traditionally you know i think um yeah one thing that shows that things have changed is, and to do with pain science and its integration in sports medicine is, is related to tendinopathy uh, and probably many years ago there was that model where you know painful exercises or exercises involving pain were doing you harm or may not help you in your rehabilitation process that was something which and in the past five ten years maybe longer with the you know the isometrics and and pain being accepted in rehab of, of, of tendons are sometimes almost almost needed in some respects to desensitize to to that to that the load or whatever the aggravating factor is and and also some of the, the hamstring research that's come out in that uh, uh, players that go through uh, uh, pain tolerated, pain as tolerated rehabilitation in their hamstring injury process versus uh, pain-free rehabilitation, the people that go through a pain as tolerated approach seem to recover certain elements quicker with regards to, to strength. And so that's a lot of the the work that's come out of um, Australia, um, uh, the Australian Hamstring Research Group there. Uh, and it's interesting because now people are becoming a bit more 
accepting of that so the obviously the the mindset has been changed you know from probably numerous uh influence in the pain clinicians in the world have added influence on that mm. to a degree you know that pain doesn't necessarily equate to to tissue damage uh and it's safe to work in pain and you know you may not make a, a recovery if you try and avoid that we know that if you avoid that you, you, there's a good chance you're not going to make a recovery from your condition yeah whatever it might yeah. be no, it's interesting because you know this is—it's a huge area, isn't it? And, and tendinopathy and, and causes a lot of there's a lot of discussion and debate, hotly contested sometimes. Um, and and one of the areas that that always seemed to create some a bit of confusion, people talking about different things, was the the idea of of central sensitization and then and then the brain being involved. And I've had one or two of those discussions where, where I was just trying to make the point that for it to be painful, it has to be a conscious experience involving you know, the brain, not just the brain, I'm not putting the brain on a pedestal, but it involves the brain. Um, and that is not the same as central sensitization. Um, but people then sort of getting the two confused. Do you, do you think that still happens in, in the sporting world in treating tendinopathy or, or persisting pain? I think, um, yeah, I think uh, people were trying to really trying to differentiate. I don't think it's possible, like, you know, real time, you can tell me otherwise, but, you know, this, this trying to separate peripheral sensitization versus central sensitization trying to do that in the sporting world um and i think that's very very difficult hard almost impossible to do and and, and the the brain is always involved um and it's understanding um you know we try to look at you know patterns and you know typical patterns and, and non-typical patterns and I think you know there's a very individual response to any pain experience that an individual player will have um I've seen various players have, 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 have you know very similar or would seem similar back issues and take completely different mm. trajectories and uh and sometimes it's to do with the with the attitude, you know, uh, back spasm, oh, it's just the old hinge, second row, big, tall, lanky guys, just the hinge, you know, it'll get better, it'll be fine, uh, keep moving, anything you do to help me, Jenks, you know, help me with, but yeah, what exercise can I do, you know, and they've got a very positive mindset, and then and then you, then you have another player, seems like it's very, very similar, and, um, uh, and just freeze up, and just get paranoid, and get worried, you know, whether some sort of structural relief, uh, uh, so you know that the brain is always involved, regardless of whether or not there's this central sensitization. I think it's less for me is less focus on on that element now. It's 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 looking to see you know what might be driving that that individual's behaviours and those behaviours are, 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 are developed based on their you know. I want to say Louis, Louis Gifford's mature organism model, how they've, uh, how they've analysed and perceived the situation, the perception, the threat in the head, and, and then how their actions, behaviours and responses um, come out after that. And I think that, that, that happens. So, you know, that's why I think um, these, these, these lectures uh, uh, in sports, medicine, therapy, rehabilitation courses uh, are really important. And they'll, 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 you know, um, probably need to be expanded because I'm sure you're cramming in a lot into a very uh, short period of time. Uh, I don't know how many hours you get with the students when you're, you're delivering that topic. But, uh, you know, I felt like uh, I think I only did, uh, I did six weeks of, uh, you know, a couple of hours a week for six weeks and, and uh, during my master's. Uh, so, you know, it was probably, yeah, it couldn't be much more than, 10, 12 hours or something like that. And that didn't seem like enough, you know? Mm. Um, yeah, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because it's, you know, to you and I, you know, we and, and others, of course, know the importance and, and actually a lot of the other stuff, the techniques, the strategies, they're, they're all absolutely downstream of this. So unless you are acknowledging it and integrating it into your 
your thinking and seeing the person. And so, you know, you used a couple of examples there of uh, two people that might be experiencing back pain and their totally different journeys and trajectories um, and, and being able to, to explain that um, to them. I mean, just one thing that sparks a little interest there is that, you know, within the team sort of situation, you've got someone who's like, yeah, no, give me some exercises. I know I'm going to be all right. I'll do that thing positive. You know, that sort of person is going to be pretty popular. Mm. And, and as even as a clinician, it's like, yeah, well, that's quite straightforward. Do this, do this, do this. You, you know, they're going to get better or they're going to feel better. Um, and, and that feels good because, you know, yeah. it's always about making people or helping people to, to yeah. feel better. So that, that's what happens. Then, then someone else comes along and, and it's far more complex um, in as well, actually underneath it all isn't more complex, just what they're presenting. Their story is more complex. Um, and they, and they, I don't want to use the term negative because I don't think that that's fair, but they've got a different approach um, to it. And there's a lot of suffering of perhaps avoidance and all, all these things. Um, and, and so could potentially be less popular with yeah. in that situation. Yeah. And I think these, these, these players, uh, their, their physical and mental status is, is changing you know, weekly and daily. And I think sometimes you have to understand the bigger picture of what's going on. And I don't think you can separate it. This this player that's had a back spasm during scrums, he might be a third choice player. He might be out of contract. He might be um, falling out of favour with the coaches. So their whole mood and stuff like that is, 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 is generally down. Um, and 100%, we know that has an influence on, on pain. Um, and you know, we might not be talking about persistent pain, but even just in acute pain, the uh, this kind of biopsychosocial uh, elements and, and the psychosocial element is is important to understand. And, and there's certain elements which I, you know, I might not have any influence on if it's regard to, to selection or contracts or anything like that. But I think you have to be really you have to be aware of it and aware why someone might be struggling to be to be positive in their recovery uh and we know that you know that 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 mood uh and their their uh, what I call psychological status or their you know their current kind of their, their current mental status is, is, is going to affect how they rehabilitate and how they recover mm-hmm. uh and uh while you might not see um some of your your work or some of your exercises you know producing the, the same results immediately um in in similar cases um and i think you have to be very mindful of that and respectful of that and uh you know work with them and you do you do have to be positive and, and, and you know uh especially players that are out long-term injured um with a lot of this uh hanging you know a lot of stuff hanging in the air in the background with regards to to contracts and uh, their, their place within the team and their status within the team and their future mm. um, and their income, you have to be mindful of that. And it's it's challenging, but you you, you need to be positive because the, the therapist or the doctor in a sporting team might be the, the player's only real advocate at that time, you know, apart from some of his, obviously his teammates as well. Um, uh, and it's... Yeah, there's there's a lot going on in these in, in the background these players' lives which you're just unaware of because we're often under the pump and haven't got that much time. But you know, um, I suppose it's been mindful of that. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, a couple of things there. When when you're working with someone who's who's struggling more, what what kinds of things do you say to them? How how do you help that person that that differs from Someone who just says, yeah, just give me a few things. I know I'm going to be all right. Off he goes, off she goes. I think, um, you know, I try and sometimes, you know, I think more often than not, it's probably the younger players or the, you know, the players in the early to middle stages of their career who are still finding their feet, finding their confidence within the team. Um, 
uh, or or it's the player that is uh, close to the end stage of retirement. And I just try and get them to to focus on the things that they they can control. I think there's there's a couple of things which uh, which I wish I'd learned about in my twenties. One of them is intermittent fasting. We won't go into that. That just works for me. Uh, <laughs> and 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 stoicism. Uh, that's something which I've found really useful. And I'm a, I check in on my day, daily Stoic uh, book, uh, you know, pretty much every day when it's sat by the toilet. Um, and um, and I feel I really try and help them focus on the things that they control and how to positively influence their their health, but also you know help us. You know, what can you be doing right now? Can you be going to to coaches to you know get some feedback on the things you need to improve or anything you can improve on while you're injured while you're spending time with us and you're not playing is there other things outside they can focus on with regards to education post-career um just what's going on in their lives outside you know their families you know things that they can focus on you know while they're not not playing rugby and and, and just trying to encourage them to um you know live a live a as healthier a lifestyle as possible because sometimes when these players are at the top you know they're top performing they're playing well their diet's good they're not you know maybe not drinking much alcohol not having too many you know treats and stuff like that and they're in a good place but sometimes when they get injured you know their routines go out they start losing interest in you know their 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 diet as being as strict as possible or because they you know can't do as maybe as much in the gym um and their routines go out of sync because they're not playing on on saturdays or friday nights they stay up late the night before or late on the weekends and so it's, it's just trying to get them back into uh you know a positive routine in that respect uh and, and focus on the things that they can control um and trying not to get drawn into any any moaning that they may have, and I try. That's this important thing to recognise, but also try not to promote. Is that you know they might be moaning about certain coaches or certain members of staff, and, and it's that's that's unhealthy for the environment and for the person. And, and trying to get them to to get that sorted out, and trying to facilitate you know a meeting or, or something with um, with someone to you know address these issues that they may have. Yeah. And, and how do you find the players respond to your to these explanations that, that go well beyond the tissues as as is absolutely needed? Uh, it's 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 challenging. It is challenging. And um, uh, sometimes and it's always been an area which I've got better at explaining over the years, but sometimes you just you, you struggle a little bit and you know you're not getting through to them and and some of uh i really liked um i like really like uh oh, you remind me of the name now uh something the beast Lorimer mosley's little video cartoon video um do you remember that uh it's a little video which he created uh, a little cartoon oh, yeah. um about explaining pain it's about three four minutes about two three minutes long and it's a really interesting little video and i often give that to players to have a look at if i really do feel um that they need some some good pain education explanation and, and, and that sparks then their thinking and they start asking questions uh from there um and um there's a few other analogies uh that i like to use as well um David Joyce, who's a sports physiotherapist, um, he he had a good analogy about you know uh, every part of the body has a number of CCTV cameras trained on it, and uh, when an injury happens, you get twice a lot of them are silent, and then you get twice as many turned on and focused on an area um, during an injury. And as you rehabilitate, they should uh, should. Uh, gradually and, and slowly turn off but sometimes an excessive number of these cctv cameras stay focused on the injured part long after healing has occurred and may continue to to drive some some pain and some ongoing pain and it's how you you kind of gradually expose the body to, to desensitize to that or feared activities or feared gym activities or sporting activities uh so it's, yeah, there's some good videos. I think the players, especially with 
social media and the amount of uh, access there is to, to YouTube and social media, I sometimes kind of, I delegate that to a, a favorite video. Um, I forgot what the name of the video is now. It's something like yeah. Tame the Beast or something the Beast or something like that, the Pain Beast. It's, it's, it's an interesting uh, uh, little video. It's a couple, of, a couple of minutes long. Yeah, yeah. So drawing on, on, on other resources. Now you've, obviously you worked, um, we worked in, in, with Welsh players, um, London Welsh and then Newport um, and, and now Russian. Have you noticed a sort of a difference in the culture? I know it's all rugby, but is there a different sort of, there different cultural themes that you have to be aware of? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and I think uh, there is a, You know, it's it's taken a while to um, to get into it and understand the, the the mentality. There's a rugby mentality, and I think that's quite similar around the world. Um, but there is uh, probably more of a mentality still within in Russian rugby, which is similar to maybe 10, 20 years ago here where, you know, you may be a little bit more secretive of any pain and of any injuries, uh, although, you know, I'm sure a certain amount of that still goes on today, but I think, um, yeah, you know, not showing any signs of a physical or, or mental weakness, um, probably it's, it's a little bit more old school in their mentality which is which is you know positive in 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 many ways but also sometimes um means that we don't necessarily get to uh to problems early enough you know uh and i always like to i explain the analogy to them um it's much easier to to try and put a uh, a fire out on a bush that's on fire than to put out a bushfire where the whole forest is uh, up and blazing and and that's uh, early management and just you know bringing a problem I'm not going to go run into the coaches and, and tell you you've got a problem and that you shouldn't select this person or anything like that so it's building rapport and building building trust the interesting thing was they didn't have a physio before me they had never had a physiotherapist before. Wow. Set up as two doctors and two masseurs. And the masseurs understand and can use classic modalities like ultrasound and uh, a few other treatment devices and game rays. And they're, they're a bit more than, than, than nurses. They're nurse masseurs and they understand some of the modalities like athletic trainers do in the United States. But they don't have huge amounts of education on the 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 exercise rehabilitation components and then the doctors uh, a little bit more like physios from a hands-on point of view um, and uh, they use some electrical stimulation and uh, shockwave some more some physio some uh, medical modalities but again uh, some it varies but some of their exercise knowledge and rehabilitation is limited so I was the the perfect kind of gap in the middle to bridge those two together um so i wondered if that that had influenced some of the the players mentalities with regards to um self-management and what i've what i really noticed is they were all had their own little personal injury prevention routines a lot of the players and there's lots lots very well self-educated be it from social media be it from youtube because of that, maybe that lack of physiotherapist in the middle, yeah. a lot of the rehab, I felt that a lot of these players sometimes were more um, more driven and more knowledgeable about exercise and rehabilitation individually because they didn't have access to rehabilitation specialists yeah. as much. They yeah. had access to rehabilitation specialists when they were out long-term injured. They have a different system. It's a bit like uh, the Russian Institute of Sport, the Ministry of Sport. They have their rehabilitation centres that might be four hours away on plane and they'll go there for long-term rehabilitation if they're out with a knee surgery. But for smaller injuries within camp, two, three, four, six, eight week injuries, it very much is self-led. Uh, uh, so it was, um, I think, um, 
it was quite nice, really. Uh, people saw me and, and knew what I, I explained who I was and what I was there to do. And and gradually there was a drip feed. People start coming to me and all problems started coming up and old issues. And it was it was good, actually. It was really interesting. And, I, and, I, and it felt really good because I did really feel like I was I was helping and making a difference. Yeah. And I still do. Um, you know, um, I, I'm working with players online at the moment and I have done since... Uh, since November 2018, so I was actually used to the online working long before um, yeah. we, our forced uh, online working in March 2020. I was I was working online with players in Siberia that you know that spoke good English um, via FaceTime and WhatsApp. Yeah, uh, sending videos back and forth and doing live sessions on rehab and of sending programs. Um, so it was, yeah, it was it was interesting. I saw a, a development of these players, and it made some really good made some really good bonds, especially the older senior players that that saw the value of um, you know what I was bringing. So um, yeah, so they they accepted you quickly then, and saw and saw your role and the the value that you were clearly bringing. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, you know it's, it's probably is it is common knowledge because of. It's on my social media, but my my wife's Russian, and we met in 2010 in London. Um, and I think they also thought I spoke better Russian than than I do. My Russian's not great, I'll be honest. It's a difficult language. But then, you know, I don't speak French very well. I don't speak Spanish very well. I, I've never been very good at languages, and, and that's something I, I really want to learn and get better at Russian. I just want to nail one language. I've decided that now. That is, you know, my wife's Russian, my, my son's learning Russian. Uh, but because of the fact that, you know, I had links with Russia as well, you know, probably thought that, you know, this guy isn't just going to come in and, and, and disappear in that respect because because I've got links with the country. And I was visiting it long before I knew of any opportunity that I, I it was, it was, I was visiting the country from 2010 to 2018, you know, every summer, uh, long before, um, you know, the offer of a job or anything like that came up. It was completely unrelated. And so yeah. it was kind of perfect in that respect. So, yeah, they, they, but they all, that's the main thing that they get into me about. It's, you know, my, my Russian, I, I really need to improve. I think I need some more formal structured lessons. Learn the alphabet, that's key. So do you do you speak a bit of Russian at home? I do, I do. Um, you know, me and my son. You know, all the animals. I can tell you all the animals in Russian. You know, I can tell you anything that's related to uh, trains, planes. Um, you know, uh, if he's hungry and food, and so yeah, we we, we speak. Uh, we we try and do as much. Obviously, he's going to get. He goes to a, you know a primary school just started last year, so he speaks lots of English there. But he's been we try and do as much Russian and Russian cartoons and try and speak as much Russian as yeah. we can as possible. But I think uh, sometimes I it's I've got to the limit now where I think I need to do more structured lessons. Yeah, to progress. So have you not had any formal lessons? I've had a bit. I've had a few formal lessons, and and before the World Cup, you know, I could tell you. Gallagher's head, Pletcher's shoulder, Kalena's knee, Galana's stop is his ankle. So I know, you know, uh, glass, rookie, I, I know all the different body parts and I can yeah. ask someone, Gadir Belid, where is your pain? You yeah. know, uh, and if they've got a concussion. So I learned a lot of things that I needed to do to, to do my job. Uh, yeah. but, but there's so many good English speakers and there's so many you know when you meet people and they're at a higher level they're not fluent in english but they're at a far better level than you are at russian they want to practice their english yeah. they want to speak in english yeah. <laughs> you're too slow and you're not getting anywhere with your russian and they realize yeah. that they want to Russian, so they take him from you they want to practice and then all of a sudden your life is a bit easier to do your job and your work uh, as a physiotherapist um so, yeah, you've you got to be careful that, you know, it, it can be too easy at times. There's lots of translators around mm. within the squad and, and there's lots of players that want to practice their English as well. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's been good. It's not been good for learning Russian at times, but it's, it's, it's been good with regards to being able to do my job. Yeah, you know, I haven't had any, any major issues with regards to that. 
Well, when, you know, when you've got to, you know, inquire a little deeper about, you know, well, how do you feel about that or, or what's going on for you? Um, you know, you could probably learn the question in Russian quite easily, but then when you get the response and all the nuance and, and the, you know, the cultural bits, you know, it, it would be very difficult to get a handle on that, wouldn't it? It's challenging. It's challenging. And it's, it's all completely possible, but it just takes time. And luckily when you're in camp, you know, you, and this year, it's been a tough year this year. We, we were in camp from, because we had to go into bubbles, we were in camp between 7th of January and 21st of March. And I was only home for three days during that period. So this is our kind of, uh, our tier two rugby six nations. Uh, it's us, Georgia, Romania, Portugal, Spain, and, uh, and Holland. And um, you get a lot of time and there's lots of translators around and there's one dedicated translator now uh, it might be late at night but if you've got a complex problem then you know you can book the translator and you can you know sit down the three of you and you know, have a coffee at maybe nine o'clock ten o'clock at night but you can get things done there is time within the day to get that done so if you do need to have more in-depth conversations um you can do it there is the time to do that you know as opposed to when i was working you know at the in, in a club at London Welsh at Dragons, you know, where, uh, you know, it's, it's four o'clock players want to, they want to get home. They want to get home. They want to be with their family. So I almost feel like I have more time, you know, uh, you really care for your day can go on, you know, really long, but I suppose if it's going to benefit you and the player and the coaching staff, you know, for the following days or weeks, it's, it's worth taking that time, you know, uh, and, and we do, we work around the schedule um, so there's some some long days, um, but that's that's fine. And, and you find yourself getting super focused on a particular issue. You can you can usually uh, understand the players, you know, mentality and feelings, and that can get that can get translated across. It just takes time, you know, because you're translating everything. Yeah, but you can yeah. do it. You can do it. It's yeah, possible. I mean, I I remember um, in the NHS we had we had a lot of um, patients coming in, and um, I worked around sort of the Wembley area, and so we had quite a few, you know, translators, and and I used to enjoy those sessions because mainly because it slowed everything down. You could really think about your questions. You, you mm -hmm. could really observe that interaction that the translator and the the patient were having, and I just felt and and you were given more time. Um, and, and so I felt that there were some advantages. Do, do you agree with that? Do you think that's? Yeah, hundred percent. You know, uh, speak slow, think fast. You you can. While that translation is going on, there's there's so many things that you're you're still analysing from the last response, looking at the person's body language. You know, I do, I do, I do think. I never really got on with the really rushed you know 25 30 minute you know follow-up appointments and, and some of the you know the 45 minute assessments you know or hour assessments sometimes with these with these complex problems uh you know an hour to 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 look at someone a complex back I, re I really do I do try and I do push people and I say now look you know someone brings me a problem that's uh it's been you know, a, a good number of, you know, 10, 10 years or something like that. And they've tried everything. Like I said, I said, look, I'd rather spend a couple of hours with you if you can allow the time and do it. And we can really just delve into this a little bit more because uh, I generally find I get some of my, um, oh, what's that kind of, uh, what's the way I would describe it? There's kind of eureka moments where you suddenly think something clicks between you and the person. And, and and that that sometimes that that takes time, you know, to 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 get to that to that point and that level of detail. And um, and I think um, you know, uh, it's 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 really worth spending the time. And and everyone's rushing, everyone's busy, and it's 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 the life that seems to be getting, you know, faster and faster and busier and busier. But I really feel that 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 time is crucial, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I, and um, we, we probably spoke about this before, you know, the you're talking about building a relationship with with someone and you, there's no there's no shortcuts. And, and you're right, there's lots of competing interests. And I read something recently about and I, and I liked it, the, the difference between really committing. I've got this issue and I'm really going to commit to doing something about it versus even being interested 
because if you're interested you're going to you know dip in and out of it if you're committed you're really going to prioritize this this so it's kind of asking people well how important is this to you if it's important to you i'm here to help but if if you know if it's not that important to you and you're going to dip in and out then um it's going to be frustrating uh 100% and and when i look at you know in more recent years when i've been looking at my own personal development and and continuous professional development and that sort of things it's the it's the communication and the coaching and the behavioral psychology that that screams out to me that grabs my attention uh, i did a communication lecture the other day uh by a, a non uh medical practitioner but who had worked with a lot of teams and uh, a lot of medical practitioners to try and improve their communication skills and how you get behavior and it was just I, I'm looking smiling and just thinking back at numerous points of my career where I think if I had known about some of these things I spent more time developing these things there's so many problems that I think you know happen in the in the everyone in the sports medicine and sports you know the team environment that you know 99% of the time, you know, everyone knows how to do their jobs and everyone can do their jobs and, and they can lead to good outcomes. The, where the problems are uh, is that the communication pitfalls and errors between player and medical staff, between medical staff and head coaches and uh, strength and conditioning staff. There's a lot of background staff and especially in football and rugby, these, these, these departments have gone from, you know, one physio, one SNC, one uh, a couple of coaches to these 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 huge, you know, 15, 20 uh, staff, mm-hmm. uh, and the problems can be because of that communication between uh, yeah. all this large group of people, so that everyone understands, you know, where which where the player is is at, and and that's why I think you know that side of things, the communication and the coaching is is absolutely crucial and there should be a lot more of that in undergraduate degrees alongside with like say the pain science but the, that communication and coaching uh and how you can positively influence behavior change you know I, i'm looking at that now and i'm thinking wow i'd love to have known that stuff in my early 20s i'd love to have spent more time on that you know i still you know been successful i've been happy where i've got to but the scenarios that you just think you could have handled better by you know sitting still quiet not reacting not shouting out and blurting an emotional response and uh because you know there can be high stress high pressure environments in sport uh uh which led to you know arguments with players and uh arguments with coaches as you know it's it's good to be reflective and and um yeah i think uh that's that's important very mm. very important yeah, I, I think, you know, it's kind of clubs um, uh, and obviously international setups taking that time, isn't it, to, to look at the team dynamics, um, to, to look at how they all communicate with each other, but also, you know, what they're communicating. So, you know, taking pain as, as an example, you know, are we all talking about the same thing here um, and making sure? And of course, that takes some time to do that. But in my view, it would solve and save a lot of hassle down the line. But people, it just seems a real reluctance to do that, to kind of go upstream and take the time to put things into place. It all still seems very reactive. Yeah. Uh, what's interesting, and I've seen a few recent uh, job adverts in high-performance sport, and... In the personal specification, now we, there's this line that seems to be reoccurring, and it's either trendy or it's suddenly someone realised it's important. But emotional intelligence yeah. keeps coming up. That keeps coming up for medical practitioner uh, adverts in working in sport. You know, having that emotional intelligence to to work in these environments. Um, so you can see if that's coming up, you know, how, if sport is, is finally cotton is coming on to that, how important is that across, you know, uh, all areas and everyone that works in this kind of, uh, in this industry where you're trying to help people in pain and help people recover from injuries and life-changing injuries. 
you have to have that and, and that links in nicely with you know that that the influences of, of of different areas of the brain and and pain and you can see it's kind of going full circle you know that's that kind of reinforces the importance if you if you're saying you want emotionally intelligent staff it means that you you know you're dealing with this aspects in in players or patients lives um uh, and you have to know about how to to work with that and how to deal with that or or know when to uh refer someone on if it's uh you know we're all amateur psychologists but you've got to know your you know every day as a therapist you're an amateur psychologist but you have to know your your remit when you when it's a step too far and if you can refer them on if you've got access to someone sometimes you haven't got access to to clinical psychologists psychiatrists uh in some walks of life and some of private work and 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 that's where the amateur psychology aspects come in but uh it's it's definitely definitely something which I think all all therapists should should invest in is the the their the knowledge of psychological practice and, and and communication in particular communication and coaching yeah for change massively yeah I th- I, th- I mean I've always thought that you know physiotherapists are are in you know arguably the best position to help people with with more complex situations and you know unless there's something you know standard like PTSD or you know or, or severe depression anxiety that kind of thing which clearly needs specialist care and, and attention and, and help and, and I think that physiotherapists can have a role in, in and indeed do have a role in that as well but would need to be part of a bigger picture but the kind of the term that's used isn't it is psychologically informed um and you know there's a number of physiotherapists who've who've got additional training and lots of experience in applying things like motivational interviewing and and you know there's a whole bag of different techniques and and methods um and so you know we we can be this this kind of one-stop shop um in and and particularly it sounds like you know listening to your stories of of working in sport you know you're you're a go-to person yeah uh, yeah i just i think what keeps me going is you know i think i i think i help i think i make a difference um uh you know um my four-year-old said this morning before I was coming to this podcast, he said, are you going to work the rugby? I said, not, not, not right now. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to do a podcast. He doesn't know what a podcast is, but he goes, but he just turned around and said, I like it when you help the rugby players and help them get their injuries better and, uh, and get them playing rugby again. And I was, you know, <laughs> a little bit emotional. I was, I was really wondering what I was going to talk about on this podcast this morning and that just suddenly that gave me my my focus back it is about helping people and making a difference and I'm just you know I, I'm no different to any other physiotherapist out there I've just happened to work with rugby players I like rugby I was a terrible rugby player but growing up in Wales I I, I liked rugby I was I was better at taekwondo and kickboxing and but I really liked rugby and wanted to be involved in rugby so I did that all the way through amateur semi-pro pro and I was very lucky to get to the World Cup in 2019 with the Russian Russian team to have the opportunity to do that. But it's on the background of that you're, you're helping the coaches, you're helping the strength and conditioning coaches get the best out of the players, you're helping the players uh, with whatever issue they've got, um, you know. And uh, yeah, majority of the time it's a physical issue, but it's always intertwined with, with you know, there's some maybe some backstory or some other element to it which which they need motivation, support, and uh, encouragement through um and and i do that the best i can and and try and create a bit of fun and humor i've always been a little bit uh uh probably physical with my humor which you know translates well sometimes uh, when you don't speak the language so uh a little bit physical and and demonstrative with my uh with my humor which the, the players uh you know enjoy laugh at me or laugh at, laugh at me or laugh with me i don't mind as long as they're smiling and uh and uh and you know it's it's, it's good for the environment yeah um, well you bring a lot of positive energy with with <clears throat> with what you do and you've you've always you've always done that um you know looking looking forward then what what kinds of things are you going to be what kinds of things are you interested in that you're going to be doing and um ways you're going to be developing yourself 
Personally, um, I do. I think I. Um, I think I would like to to improve certain elements of, as I discussed, the, the communication skills and and and, and coaching skills. Uh, I, I'd like to develop that to improve my ability to, you know, um, work with anyone. Uh, I don't want to be pigeonholed, pigeonholed just as a rugby physiotherapist. You know, I've applied everything that I've learned to working with, you know, people uh, in pain and with, with injuries uh, in, in day-to-day life. So it's, it's, it's probably just trying to take what I've learned and just develop some new skills to improve my ability to communicate with, you know, normal people because rugby players can be special, special characters at certain times, and 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 you can't have the same expectations uh, on 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 uh, I call normal people, <laughs> uh, normal real people, and uh, and just improve my ability to 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 coach and communicate with those to understand, um, you know, what their needs are. Um, and I think, um, yeah, just just be a little bit more um, holistic with uh, how I I approach um, different uh, different people from different walks of life, really. So um, you know, I, 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 there's that, and then there's some of the other, you know, exercise and strength and conditioning stuff, which I'm trying to stay on top of as well. Trying to mix, trying to mix that. The science of exercise, the science of pain, the science of rehabilitation, and and then communication and coaching. Trying to bridge that together, and I do remember one therapist saying that the skill is, uh, you know, the the say I don't say the best therapist out there, but the you know the the, the, the therapist that um, some of the best therapists out there, they, they can work with some players at the highest most elite levels and help them take them from there to there but the skill is can you work at that end of the spectrum and can you also take someone who's at their lowest most physically disabled and you know uh and such mental stress you know major road traffic accident or something uh life-changing injury and help them rehabilitate as well so being able to work on both ends of the spectrum uh and i think that that means having uh, having a philosophy, having an approach, having a style which is engaging for um, for anyone that you come across in any walk of life. To being able to help anyone, uh, I think somehow it's yeah, that's how I want to try and improve myself like that. And and, and I suppose it's um, I think sometimes when you see someone in in a really really bad place. When they've had a, a significant injury, be it you know uh, spinal cord rehabilitation or some uh, horrific road traffic accident, and they really are in a very bad place and often be in a bad place mentally. It's it's trying to to hone into them and be able to help them. And there's there's a huge amount of psychology with regards to to working with people uh, that have had major traumas. I suppose it's improved my ability to to understand those types of. Uh, people and, and those injuries and, and help bring them back and I do take some of that stuff I've learned for sport and I help them in that positive in that respect but this I'm still learning I do feel there's uh, 41 and there's 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 a lot to learn out there and uh, a lot of things I'm still motivated I'm still motivated in the career what will be 20 years into the to the career now qualifying in 2000 so yeah 21 years there's still lots to learn and improve on yeah fantastic Fantastic. So where, where can people um, follow you and see what you're up to? Um, so uh, on Twitter, uh, it's CJ Rugby Physio, I believe that's the handle there, CJ Rugby Physio, Chris Jenkins. Um, on Instagram, I, I tell myself, Welsh Rugby Physio, I've never been a physio for Wales at all, but I'm Welsh and I'm a rugby physio, <laughs> so Welsh Rugby Physio. Uh, on Instagram um, and messing around with the same title on, on TikTok. That's a little bit of fun. Um, <laughs> more about learning new skills for me and trying to keep up with the kids, really, uh, and the next generation and how they uh, how they want to get their information and learn. That's been interesting. Um, 
but very positive and the, the 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 questions and responses i'm getting from that is really good um and then uh yeah um cj uh website cjphysio.uk uh uk um is, is my website as well i'm starting to put a few more uh bits on that as well and um looking to do a few more webinars on rugby and, and physio in the future um so yeah um and um bookings and appointments online is something which i still want to really push and do more of help uh, i've helped during lockdown i helped some rugby players in South Africa, out some rugby players in, in Russia uh, who, who weren't related to the team. Um, so there's, there's been a few people uh, around the world who have helped. So I'd like to do a little bit more online work as well. Brilliant. Brilliant. So, yeah. oh. Happy for people to get in touch with me. Yeah, well, hopefully, you know, we'll, we'll share this out and all those links will be on the page so people can, mm. can find you. So, Chris, no, it's been brilliant to, uh, to catch up. Thanks for making some time. Thank you, Rich. No, I really enjoyed it. It was uh, really good to catch up with you as well. It's been a long time and uh, I always uh, found it very easy to chat to you uh, about, about physio and life. So, uh, yeah, thank you very much for the opportunity. Good stuff. Good stuff. Keep in touch. Yeah, I will do. All the best. Cheers.